Well, I hope you found a, uh, a memory there in that last song from last week. We've been talking about uh, the stories that Jesus found in the Gospels and working our way through. And last week we ended up talking about how Jesus brings truth to life in the storms that come our way. And it's been really uh, great this week in the life groups that I was able to participate in to just see how much that met a need for us, how God really took that message and, and met us where we were. So many of us, as we said last week, you know, when I asked people to raise hands, how many of you have gone through storms in your life uh, where that's been the time when you've learned the most about God? And nearly everybody in the, in the uh, sanctuary raised their hands. So we know that it's real, and, and uh, Jesus turns head knowledge into heart knowledge whenever we experience him in the storms. He moves from just, just ideas and thoughts and Bible scriptures and things like that and stories like he did for the disciples in the middle of the storm. All of a sudden, everything uh, became real for them. And as we saw last week when, I, uh, when we were talking about the, the storms, um, you know, just thank you for sharing the stories and making those things real. Uh, we had some really incredible moments uh, in small groups. Uh, so... Jesus used the storm, and he uses the storms in our life. Uh, And and I want to say this, because last week in one of the life groups, this kind of hit me. You know, it really takes something, some kind of experience with God to move knowledge from our brains to our hearts. And so there's two things we ought to be doing. Number one is we ought to be gaining knowledge and letting God prepare us like he did the disciples for that storm. He puts stuff in their hearts that ultimately would not be used until the storm, or not really be real to them until the storm came. All day long, he'd been teaching them things that would ultimately come into reality in the experience. But storms are not the only place where we can experience God. And so I just want to encourage you in that. Some of you were fearful at the end of last week's message. You know, we talked about the fact that probably a storm is coming for you. You know, you, you were thinking, okay, God just spoke, so that means a storm's coming. Don't be fearful of those things, but also realize that God, God can use your discipline in just reading the Word and praying and seeking Him on, daily, on a daily basis, hearing what He says, and then with the faith that you have, obeying what He says. He uses that also to give us experiences of knowledge of Him. That is abiding in Christ, right? We should all know that. Uh, but abiding in him is taking a positive approach, not waiting for a storm to come, but in the middle of everydayness, you know, in the middle of whatever problems you're facing today or whatever questions you have for God today. Because you trust in him and you want him to guide your life, if you just go to him and set the table for God with questions and ideas and thoughts and concerns, and God's so willing to answer those things, and you're, you're able to encounter God and see God's exclusive activity even when the storms don't come. So I hope you rested better this week in your storms. And if not, Jesus promises that in this world you're going to have tribulation. There's more to come. So you're going to have a lot more opportunities. But don't fear. He says, I have overcome the world. Now next in the Gospels, Jesus heals a servant of uh, a centurion. And then he raises the, the son of a widow, the only son of a widow. And some of the disciples of John the Baptist were present uh, when these things occurred. And, and so today we're going to pick up after that encounter uh, when those who were present 
with John the Baptist or John the Baptist disciples that were present in the middle of those of the healing and the raising the the widow's son from the dead went back to talk to John about it to tell John kind of uh, give him a snapshot of the character of Jesus that they had discovered uh, in in those healings. So we're going to pick up in Luke chapter seven. And I got to tell you guys before we get started, man. This this message today, I think, if if you will listen. Plug your heart in. I mean, really sit up in your spirit and, and be ready. I think God, I know that God has a message for everybody. This message is going to find all of us where we, where we are so often. It's going to help us to look at a certain kind of circumstance in our lives that causes all of us at some point to get a wrong per, uh, picture of who God is. And the beauty of this text today is it's going to give you a true picture in the experience of Jesus of what he feels about you and what he thinks about you when you face this same kind of circumstance. So I want you to put yourself in the place of John today as he responds to the disciples, coming to his disciples, coming to him and saying, here's what's going on. All right, here we go. Luke chapter 7, verse 18. Y'all ready to plug in and say, oh yeah. All right. Luke 7, 18. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of the disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour, in that hour, he healed many, of the, many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. All right, we'll stop there. We'll pick up here in just a minute with that. Let's stop for just a second. Let's remember who this is. This is John the Baptist. Now, he's in prison. But what do we know about John's story already, just from the experiences that we've already had in the Gospels? First of all, we know that John had recognized that Jesus was the Son of God, and he announced it. He announced, remember, to the people uh, as Jesus walked by to all of his disciples, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So John knew that. John saw the Holy Spirit literally, visibly, saw the Holy Spirit in bodily form descend on Jesus as a dove at his baptism. Y'all remember that? He's had a visible experience of the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus. John heard the voice from heaven proclaim, this is the Son of God. When, the, when at his baptism, a, vo- a loud voice was spoken, he said, this is my Son. And then John was given a report by his own disciples, people that he trusted, People that had been following him came to him and was given a report at least that a child was raised from the dead and probably also that, uh, that the centurion's son was healed because his disciples were with him. Yet in the present circumstances, he doubted. 
I mean, I know if we think about those experiences, if we had been there, y'all with me? In the circumstance, and we heard that, and we saw that, and we experienced that, we're probably looking at John and saying, man, what's the matter with you, dude? You're doubting that he's the Son of God, that he's the Messiah? He was on the verge, actually, of being offended. And Jesus addresses that. By offended, it means that the, the actual word means to experience anger or shock because of what was said or done. But the circumstances brought him to a point where it didn't matter what he saw about God, what he experienced it with God, what he had heard from heaven, what the, the, the fact that he that was such a fact in his heart. Now in these circumstances, when he had been arrested for preaching that Jesus was the Lamb of God, doubt set in. I, you know, I thought about that. I thought, why? Why would he doubt? Why would John the Baptist doubt? I thought maybe it's because of his expectations. Maybe he thought, if I get arrested for, for preaching Jesus, then, then maybe some, then, then Jesus is going to come save me. So it's all cool. And there have been times, right, in Scripture where disciples were arrested and Jesus or the Holy Spirit came and saved them. Maybe his expectations were that Jesus was going to show his power and come and, and pull him out of prison, and, and it didn't happen. Maybe it's because he was hoping to get out. Uh, and if Jesus wasn't the one, uh, then maybe the one that would be the one would, would, would or change the story of what had been predicted for him. Maybe he was thinking he would get out because he knew that he was supposed to be preparing the way for the Lord and if, there was, if this is not the Messiah, then I'm getting out because I know the prophecy says that I'm the one that's supposed to prepare the way for the Lord. So I prepared the way for you. If you're not the Messiah, that means I'm getting out. He's looking for some kind of hope in the middle of the storm, right? He's inside of jail. So maybe it's because he wanted to know if his mission was complete. Whatever the case, he doubted. So let me ask you a question this morning. It's a rhetorical question and a real question. Do you ever doubt? I mean, even after God's done incredible things in your life, in this body, even after God has shown you so that he's real in your life, and he's done whatever he's done in your life, and we all have our own stories, regardless of all the things that God has done to reveal himself to you, do you ever doubt? Maybe because your expectations were blown. Maybe you expected that God was going to give you a better job or more money. Or you expected that God was going to give you the house or home that you wanted. Maybe it's because you you didn't get out of a storm. And and you stayed sick. And you you lost your friend to cancer. Maybe the doubt came then. Maybe it's because you thought... God's, or you think that God's plan for you has been interrupted by your life circumstances. That what God had for you and had in store for you has been interrupted by circumstances in life. And you wonder, why didn't he show up? I know you do, and so do I. We all doubt God. And the people I know who have the most intimate relationship with Jesus doubt And when life is going well for us and we're fighting battles and we're winning those battles and our faith is strong, doubt rarely raises its head. But 
when the unexplained, unexpected, horrible trials come in life, we all doubt. So it's important for us in this story to see how God reacts in this moment or responds in this moment. What does Jesus think of us when we doubt? Even though he's blessed us over and over again with plenty of evidence that he's real, even though he's been so faithful to take care of us. You know, I hear stories all the time from all of you, different times, about how I can't believe I'm panicking in the moment about provision when God's always provided for me. You know, doubt after doubt after doubt. What does God think of us when he's blessed us with all the reasons not to doubt and we still, read, and we still doubt? How does Jesus respond? Jesus did two things after John's experience of doubt. He gave him truth to hold on to, and he talked behind his back. That's the title today of the message. Jesus talks behind our back. You think when we start thinking about what do we want to look at about Jesus that we can hold on to that's going to transform the way we think about him and about life. One of the things that you never thought you'd hear uh, as a message is Jesus talks behind our back. But this is going to be a good one. All right. You're going to hold on to that. You're going to be so thankful that Jesus is talking behind your back. But let's take a look at the first one first. Jesus gives him truth to hold on to. Historical truth. Things that he had not seen given to him, uh, or things that he had not seen were given to him by people that he trusted. Look at Luke chapter 7, verse 22 and 23. And he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have given good news, preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. He gives them truth to hold on to from people that he, that he trusted. So John is questioning and doubting, is Jesus really the Messiah? Because his circumstances are, are, seem to be shouting out that Jesus is not. And, and he, even though, regardless of the good experiences that he had, he's still doubting. And all of us have been there. We've had our own blessed uh, experiences with God where we should know that he's real and never doubt again, but we doubt because certain circumstances come up and bring us to that point. And what does he do? He sends somebody that John trusts back to him with proof that he's real. God sends the truth to John the Baptist. Where do you go whenever you doubt? When you start having problems, where do you get your answers from? So many people go to me, (laughs) honestly. I mean, they go to pastors. People go to their ministers to try and figure out, you know, what's, what's going on? I'm doubting. You know, and that's a good place to go if the pastor or the person that you're going to is going to give you truth. Go to somebody you trust. But God is going to use the word and he's going to use people that you trust to speak into your life during times of trial and problems and doubt. But here's what happens when most of us doubt. We're embarrassed and ashamed. Am I right? We don't want to doubt. We definitely don't want to tell anybody that, that we trust hears from God that we're doubting. That's what I love about our life groups, man. It's so, things, and we're at different stages, I know. Some of you are new in life groups and you're just getting to know each other. But once the life group forms and people get to know each other, is there's honest discussion going on. We are talking about our doubts in front of people. And people that we trust can give us words about God. Can remind us of who he is. I can't tell you how many times, again, for, for you guys, most of you are young. You're just getting your family started. You're struggling with, with jobs, trying to figure out what you're going to do uh, 
vocationally for your life and, and you have these jobs that are sometimes good, sometimes not, and you, you lose a job, you gain a job. I can't tell you how many times, and you know it, we've been in a life group and somebody has said, hey, God will take care of you. Listen to what he did. You have your own story of what you saw God do in your own life. And, and that truth is something to hold on to. Who is God whenever you doubt? One of the things he is is he's not going to say, well, if you didn't receive truth the first time, I'm not giving it to you again. I'm tired of telling you the same thing over and over again. And some of us have that picture of God. No, he wants to give you truth when you doubt. So hold on to that. In your times of doubt, Jesus is going to give you truth from people that you trust. I love the way he handles doubting Thomas. Right? The one who spent three years in ministry with Jesus, saw all the miracles that Jesus saw, and still, whenever they said that Jesus rose from the dead, even though Jesus said he would, when, they, when Jesus appeared to the disciples and Thomas wasn't there, he says, I will not believe it until I put my hands in his, the scars in his hands and my, and my finger in his side. Did Jesus say, well, you're just not going to get that. If you don't believe in me after all these three years of serving with me, and you doubt, forget about it. I'm out of here. You're out of here. No, he goes and gives Thomas what he needs. He says, Thomas, go ahead. He appears to them again with Thomas in mind. For his sake. Listen, don't get a picture of Jesus looking at you as a sorry dog every time that you doubt, regardless of how many good experiences you've had with him. Okay, is everybody hearing this? Let it sink into your heart. Don't allow Satan to tell you that you're a pitiful Christian when you doubt, even though God's been so faithful to give you so many things and so many signs of his uh, being real and personal to you. Receive the truth that God gives you. And then the second thing, and the thing we'll spend the rest of our time with, is Jesus talks behind his back. Look at it. John 7, 24 to 35. We're fixing to hear Jesus talking behind John's back. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. I love that. When the people that were close to John left, now he's about to start talking about him. Right? Because that's the way we do, right? When we talk behind somebody's back, wait till their friends leave, then we're going to talk. I mean, this is, it's so obvious that he's talking behind John's back. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll close the message out with a reason why I think he did it this way. Anyway, so he says, what did you go to, into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and living in luxury are in king's courts. What did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, because uh, this is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare the way for you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. And yet, uh, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the purpose Uh, of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to one another, we played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine and you say he has a demon. The son of man has come eating and drinking and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is, ju- is justified by all her children. 
Look at what Jesus is saying. And, and receive this as you put yourself in the place of John. And you think, I have failed God by doubting him, even though he has proven himself over and over and over again to me. Even though I've had God-exclusive activity in my life, and I know he's real, I've still doubted him. Receive Jesus' response. He's talking behind your back, just like he was to John. First thing he says about John, he's bold and courageous, unbending. He's not like a reed and come out to see a reed bending in the wind. John is bold and courageous. He was speaking the truth and he was staying out in the wilderness uh, and people were coming to him and he didn't care who came or, or what, where they received what he said or not. John spoke the truth about who Jesus was. And he ultimately got arrested for it. He was bold and courageous. And Jesus says that about him on the heels of his failure, on the heels of his doubting Jesus says he's bold and courageous. Second thing he says, John is to be compared to the prophets. Wow. Man, when you start talking about somebody being compared to the prophets in Jesus' day, Jesus was, these were the elite in God's service. And all the people knew that. That John was going to be compared to the prophets. And in case you would gather or question yourself about which one, which take any one of the prophets, and they have these huge stories of faith and strength and effective work for God. All of them also doubted. But he's specifically described in Matthew's account of this same story as another Elijah. Look at it in Matthew chapter 11, verses 12 through 15. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ear to hear, ears to hear, let him hear. Elijah. <laughs> he is Elijah. It was prophesied that another Elijah would come. And Jesus says, John is the one. You want to talk about prophets? Of all the prophets, Elijah, who went and stood before the prophets of Baal and Asherah, and said to the people of Israel, whoever's for the Lord, come to me. And nobody came. And Elijah stood by himself. And he challenges the, the gods of, of Baal and Asherah to offer a sacrifice to their God and, and not put fire to it. And call, Remember the story? Call down fire from heaven. Get your God to put fire on this sacrifice. And nothing happened, of course, because their God was not real. And then Elijah stands up and says, God, uh, first of all, he says to, the, to all the people, all of his servants, he says, go get some water and pour it all over the sacrifice. And they poured jars and jars of water on the sacrifice until the trench around the, the altar was filled with water. That's boldness. <laughs> That's a prophet. And then he says, God, I pray that you would send down fire and consume this sacrifice and show these people that there's a God in Israel. He wasn't concerned about whether they saw him as an effective prophet. And neither was John. He was humble and yet uh, bold and courageous and powerful because he followed God's plan to the T. There was nothing of Elijah, only God in Elijah's life. And down comes the fire and consumes the sacrifice and the altar and licks the water out of the trench. And the people said, the Lord, he is God. Elijah's prayer was answered. 
Jesus says, John's to be compared to the prophets, and not just any prophet, but let's pull Elijah out. He's the one. He is the prophecy fulfilled. Jesus is talking about behind his back, saying he's bold and courageous and unbending, and he's compared to the prophets. And then look at what else he says in verse 26. He says John's a man called by God to be a part of God's plan, and that he's been faithful to that. He says, what then did you go out to see, a prophet? Yes, and I tell you, more than a prophet. He is the one of whom it is written, Behold, I am sending a messenger before your face who will prepare the way before you. God had a plan for for John long before John was ever born. It was prophesied by Malachi. In Malachi 1, Behold, I send the messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And Jesus is saying he's more than just a prophet. He is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Malachi. That is, he is the one who the Father chose before he was ever born for a very specific plan and purpose. And he has accomplished that plan. His father, Zechariah, when, when he was born, said in Luke chapter 1 the same thing. He recognized that, Jesus, that, that John the Baptist was the child who would be preparing the way for Jesus. Verse 76 of chapter 1 of Luke, he says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord and prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So Jesus is talking behind his back. He's, he's, he's calling him bold and courageous and, and a person to be compared to the prophets, and not just any prophet, but Elijah, one of the greatest prophets. And he says that he is fulfilling the plan, that God uh, is a part of God's plan. Just like I was a part of God's plan, John is a part of God's plan, always has been. He's fulfilling God's plan. Then he says something incredible in in verse 28. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. I tell you, of all the men born of women, Jesus is making a statement here as he looks across history at all the prophets uh, from, from Adam to the day. None, he says, no man born of women is greater than John the Baptist. (laughs) Wait a minute. That's the one that just asked you if you were the Messiah, regardless of what all you did in his life, all the signs that you gave, all the blessings that you gave to John, uh, the the evidences that you were the Son of God, and he knew it, and he had it in his heart, and he was solid on that, and he was willing to go to prison proclaiming it, and he's doubting you. He's weak. Jesus says, no. He's not weak. He's unbending. He's courageous. He's like a prophet. The prophet Elijah standing up and proclaiming the word of God. Matter of fact, when I look at history and I look at all the people ever born, he's the greatest man who ever lived. Let that sink in, people. You need to hear what God thinks about you. 
when you doubt. He's not looking at you and saying, you sorry, rascal. <laughs> He's not looking at you and saying, man, I can't believe. After all I've done for you, you don't have any faith. I can't believe after all that I've done in, in your life and in your family's life and in the church that you go to that you doubt me. Uh, he looks at us and says, by the way, Satan, that's you talking. Let me just whisper in, your ear, in their ear what I really think. Of all the people born of women, you're the greatest. It wasn't because of John's performance. It was because of John's, John's position. And you'll see that as we, as we close out. The last thing that he says about John as he's talking behind his back is in, in verse 31. He says, to what then shall I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace calling one another. We played the flute for you. You didn't dance. We sang a dirge. You didn't weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine. And you say he has a demon. The son of man. Jesus talking about himself said the son of man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard. Friend of tax collectors and sinners. That wisdom is justified by all her children. When we doubt, we need to know something behind the character of, of God. He's talking behind our back. And one of the things that he says about us is the same thing he says about John here. They're walking with me. They, they are taking the, the offense from the world. They're being offended and they're still walking with me. They are standing for me. John the Baptist is standing for me and he's in prison because of it. And people don't like him and they're not receiving him and, and they didn't receive me. And it's for different reasons. It doesn't matter. Matter of fact, the things that they didn't like John for, they didn't like Jesus for the opposite. They were making fun of John because he dressed in uh, camel skin and he ate wild locusts and honey. And all the, you know, ate stuff in the wild. And, and they're making fun of Jesus because he eats fine food and drinks wine with people. It doesn't matter. The, the point he's saying is, I love John. You know why? Because he's with me. He's with me, man. He's suffering right now because of me. He's going to be faithful to me. He is my child, man. We're together in this. We're going through the same stuff together. And he finds himself in me. And I find myself in him. Right now, we need to know something again about the character of God. He's talking behind our back. Right now, he has an audience. Jesus does. I mean, literally, today. Jesus has an audience right now with the Father. And when we doubt, if you've if you doubted him this week, what I, which I would venture to say that everybody in here has in some way, Regardless of how faithful he's been in the area where you doubt. Usually Satan is, it tries to get us in areas where we think we've already got control. Because we're, we're finding ourselves uh, feeling good about ourselves because we did, we're doing good. Well, find yourself, find yourself feeling good about yourself if you're doing bad too because Jesus feels good about you. He's talking about you. And right now he's talking about you to the Father. He's talking about us. It's what he does. He talks about us to the Father. So what's he say? Look at Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all? 
how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God, God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels or rulers nor things present or things to come nor powers nor height nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In 1 John 2, 1-2, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not ours only, but for the whole sins of the whole world. We need to know that we have an advocate who is standing on our behalf before the Father. And when we sin, when you doubt, even though you've had experience after experience, and Satan whispers into your ear that you're a failure, you should be ashamed of yourself, you should give up on this Christian life, forget about it, you're never going to get victory over this. God is, Jesus is on your behalf, standing before the Father and saying, see how perfect my child is? You see how perfect he is? He's bold and courageous. She's, she's incredible. She's, she's serving me. She is with me. We're together. We're, in, we're on task together. And you might say, I'm not that, though. I'm not that. I'm, I'm a failure. No. Here's what God looks at. He looks at what Jesus says. The word that Jesus speaks is truth on your behalf. He speaks in your defense. He says, When he died on the cross, God made him to become sin for you so that the righteousness of God could be given to you as a free gift. You have righteousness that's been given to you by Christ if you put your faith in him. If you made your decision to walk with Christ, as John did, and you one-time decision, you make that decision to walk with Christ, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, and Jesus stands next to the Father, and he's talking behind your back all the time. Satan is saying, look at that failure. And Jesus says, look at at the success. Because God's looking at Jesus' life. He's not looking at your life. He's not looking at your failures. He's not looking at your doubts. He's, He's looking at the perfection of Jesus. He's looking at the fact that Jesus never failed in putting faith in the Father. That Jesus never didn't rise to the occasion when a a task came up, that he never had somebody that he trusted have to come to him and remind him who the Father was. Jesus is standing in our defense. He's talking behind our back. Now, I hope that speaks to you. Man, I hope you receive that. I hope that you can take some time to dwell on that thought, to think about it. I hope in life groups this week that you'll bring that up and talk about it and, and digest that idea and thought because I know firsthand what all of us are experiencing whenever we doubt. I know, and I know what Satan brings to our minds. And these are real things. Now, Jesus didn't say these things to get a response out of John. 
He didn't say these things to John to get John to act right, to get John to quit, you know, quit doubting. He didn't get him to, to perform better. That wasn't his purpose. He didn't come to do something for John to talk about him in order to get him to act right. And so before Satan whispers into your ear, yeah, God's talking good about you because he wants you to start acting right. Because he's trying to get something out of you. Let me remind you of this story. Okay? First of all, Jesus sent John's disciples before he talked about him. That means John probably never heard what Jesus said about him. He wasn't trying to get a response out of John. This is in the heart. Jesus was expressing his heart about John. Let me say that again. All right. Y'all ready? Jesus is, thank you. Jesus is not saying this about John. So that word will get back to John. John will say, oh, he's been talking good about me. Oh, wow, I should straighten up. All right. Oh, I just love the fact he's talking good about me. I want to try, you know, he's trying to get my heart to do something for him. It was not that. Jesus was expressing his heart about John. Why is that significant? Because I know what Satan tells you about yourself when you fail, when you doubt. I know what he says. And you need to realize that Jesus doesn't stand in your defense and give you his word to hold on to, to make you uh, act better, to try harder. This is who he is, and he loves you this way. Jesus loves you so much that he stands in your defense, that he talks behind your back to the Father, that he will never not say good things about you. One of the things Talitha and I know about each other is we don't ever say anything bad about the other one anywhere to anybody. She knows when she walks into Harlow's on, on any given morning and the old men are saying, ooh, it's a good thing you got here. He was, boy, he was talking about you. She, said, I, she says, I know it was good. We, we just don't do that. We're done with that. Uh, you know, I think it's a good example for you guys. It's, it makes a big difference in our marriage. She can always trust that, but you need to trust that about the Father. Or Jesus. Jesus is always speaking positively in your defense. He is not looking down at you and saying you're pitiful. He's looking at the Father and saying he's perfect. That's what Jesus does for us. And he's expressing his heart when he does that. This is what he really believes. He's not saying it to the Father so that you'll act better. You have a privilege that John the Baptist didn't have. You can rest in the knowledge that Jesus is talking behind your back and he's saying good things to the Father on your behalf. That the lies that the enemy tries to sell you are not true. You have the privilege of knowing that because of this story. John didn't have that because he died. Lost his head to an evil queen. On a whim. Doesn't sound right. Greatest man that ever lived. But you got a privilege. You can respond to this. You can respond to this knowledge that Jesus is talking good about you. And you can tell Satan every time that that lie gets in your head, you can remind him of this truth. God is for us. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. This kind of love that stands in your defense, there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Jesus is standing right now as an intercessor on your behalf. Nothing can separate you. He gives a whole list of things in Romans. But then he says, ultimately, at the end of that, I tell you, nothing, not anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. So rejoice in that today. Man, let that affect you.
Let that affect the way you live your life this week. You know, our goal in this study is to get to know Christ in, as we look at him interacting with people. And what a great truth for us to pull out today or for God to give us out of this story that, that again, it will find its way into your week. Just don't forget it. All right, and I'm going to pray for you that you won't. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we need this message today. I thank you for what you've done in my heart this week and strengthening my love for you as I have seen this truth in your demonstration of it. I thank you for the way that it's affected the way that I've treated others because I understand how you're treating me. And Lord, I just pray that, that this will sink in for us today. I pray this week as each person does doubt that you will give them truth to hold on to. Maybe the truth that we spoke today. Give them truth to hold on to from someone they trust. And then, Jesus, thank you that you're talking behind our back and remind us about that, that it's always a good thing, that you never say anything negative to us about us to the Father. It's always good. It's always based on who you are and the depths of your love, which nothing can take away, no matter how bad we are. Let that sink in in a way that changes us. And Lord, I pray right now, even as we close our service out, that that thought and idea will affect our worship. Help us to praise you from our hearts right now as a result of what we've heard about you in Scripture. In Jesus' name.